days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinerius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And as this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as they had been told. Thank you, Rick. Very good job. And you know, you can read that so many times, and each time you read it, a different word might jump out, or just maybe some different um, phrase. Maybe sometimes it's just the tone it's read with that catches our attention this morning though we are going to talk about christmas one last time here and um, we're going to tie christmas into the new year at that so and i want to start with a question this morning and i was thinking about who god is so let's start with this question i'll throw it out there you can fill the blank in for me this morning like god is give me a couple of words God is almighty, that's right. Anybody else? Glory? glory? Yep. Love? And, and, and so love and glory, those are the top two that come to mind because that's the essence of God, right? His love and his light or his goodness and his glory. So yeah, over here? Mighty. mighty. Forgiving. Forgiving. Huh? He's God. God is God. That's, that's a great one because there's only one true God, that's right. Very good. Now, I'll tell you why I asked that question, because I asked that question because I knew there would be one answer I wouldn't get. And there's like this one answer when we think of who God is that really defines him, and yet it just would fly over our head, and we wouldn't stop and think. 
And maybe because God is so powerful and mighty and loving and forgiving and full of glory that this one would escape our attention. Before I fill in the blank there and tell you the answer to that, let's, do a, let's just back up in history a little bit and consider, as we're thinking about celebrating Christmas, let's go back and think about the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, the God had this, this, this reality with the Jewish people here. Who is God? God is. And then look at this next slide here. God's invitation to the Jews. So God in the Old Testament, when he gave them this law, he established for them these feast days that they were to follow. There were actually seven of these feast days. And we can't go through all seven of those feast days, but I will highlight three of them this morning because they were an invitation to the Jews. Uh, Those feast days were intended to shape his relationship with the Jewish people. Like he wanted a special relationship with them and these feast days were powerful. All of these feast days have some similarities and they have some unique angles like each one had their unique purpose to a degree but they all had similarities. So here are three of them. Uh, The Feast of Passover, we know this one probably the most, right? Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 16.1 and just look in Deuteronomy here, these three are mentioned in Deuteronomy 16. Just see if you see a common theme in these. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. That's the feast of Passover. Then there's the feast of Pentecost, or known as the feast of weeks. Here's what it says. Then you shall celebrate the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a voluntary offering of your hand in a proportional amount, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And then the last one I'll mention here is the feast of tabernacles, right? Uh, the Feast of Booths. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths for seven days when you have gathered in from your threshing floor in your wine vat and you shall rejoice in your feast. Now, each of these days there was something It was often tied to their agriculture and their harvest and they would come in and they'd be like, we don't really relate to this because we just go to the store and we can get grapes in the middle of the winter. But for them, it's like, hey, the harvest came in and we have food now to eat for the next several months. And, and so they would just really, this was really a meaningful time to them to give thanks to God and to shape their relationship with him but did you see a common theme in those three festivals celebrate and the word celebrate there is interesting because it's literally the word perform as you perform these feasts but that was the idea that as they performed them it was a, a sort of celebration and the last two specifically tell them to rejoice rejoice in this feast and so you know it's crazy as unholy as this might sound these feast days were really an invitation to come and party with the god of the universe how about that god invited them to to come and party and that's what we just get done celebrating thanksgiving and then christmas and now new year's and in a sense we're being invited in each of these uh each of these holidays and they didn't have those same holidays they didn't have christmas and easter they have these other feast days but they were invitations to come and celebrate and rejoice and party with the god of the universe and to an extent were being invited the same and um uh, i think that's just really powerful to stop and think about that reality you know um in the day of the program the morning of the program i showed that video the cultures of christmas where it showed all the people who celebrated christmas in a unique way and then it had that powerful ending when they all agreed why they celebrate and that just really captured my attention my brother was at the program that day and uh, he uh, commented on that video he loved that video he said because so often we have like our christmas eve services and we sing the you know the carols and light the candles and we have silent night and it's somber and it's meditative and it's like but christmas really 
really is a celebration. And he liked how it pointed out the celebration wrapped up in Christmas. And I thought that was such a profound observation. That's not what I took away from that video, but he did. And I thought that was so good. And so this is where I want, to, where I want us to, um, when all is said and done this morning, this is where I want us to land. It's also where I want us to start. And it's how I want us to return to that opening question. I want to fill in that blank for you now. Maybe you can fill it in. God is joyful. I mean, you ever stop and think? You ever, you ever look at God and think, my God is joyful. We, we, you know, we think God is angry and, and God is frustrated and God is exhausted with us and God is all these things and he's loving and kind and powerful and mighty and generous and, and gracious and he's joyful. We have a God that is joyful and I think that just kind of sometimes escapes us. Can you see our God as being a God of great joy because he is? At the same time, are you able to see Christmas as an invitation from God to celebrate? Let me, let me take you through this invitation from three angles. First, we are invited to come and celebrate with the Father as he gives his best gift. Like we oftentimes... Christmas morning, you know, you get out, you give your kids Christmas presents, and we love to do that, and it's good to get. We have a father who loves to give his best gift on Christmas to all of his creation. Can't say all of his children because we've wandered away from him, but uh, he gives his best gift to all of his creation on Christmas. And there's this time Jesus talked about if you as earthly fathers can give, give good gifts, how, how much better can, the, can God the Father give good gifts? And he does. And so we come and celebrate that. And then we come and celebrate simply the gift of Jesus. Like what is the gift of Jesus? The gift of God in the flesh, the gift of God's faithfulness, the gift of God's love, the gift of the redemptive plan being set in motion, the gift of peace, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. All of that is wrapped up in our celebration of the gift of Jesus. And then there's one third angle here that will help us this morning a lot. Come and celebrate the gift of Jesus all year long. Like, you know, and, and the, the reality is like, <clears throat> I highly doubt that Jesus was born on December 25. Highly doubt he was born in December. I, I, I think it's probably closer to September, though we can't have uh, an exact uh, knowledge of that day when he was born. But, but just think about this reality that Jesus, being his birth being celebrated at the end of one year and as we begin another year, we can use that to our advantage, can't we? Because we can take the season, like in Thanksgiving, to say thank you, but then we can also celebrate this gift. And it's kind of like, think about a kid who gets a toy on Christmas and then boom, you know, the, the, the next year they just love that toy and they just, they just get all the mileage out of that toy they can. And then the next Christmas they want another gift and another toy. And we kind of get this gift at Christmas and we can celebrate this gift. We can enjoy this gift all year long. Matthew tells us, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what a great gift that God is indeed with us every day of the year. And what a beautiful reality that Christ came down, took on human flesh, joined us in our experience, and he will be with us all year long. And yet for those of us who know him as our Savior, who have put our faith and trust in him, we know it's better because we know Easter is right around the corner. And Easter is when God is not just with us, but God is now in us. He comes to life in us. He's resurrected to life in us. So come and celebrate the end of one year and the start of the new year, a new year where God is with us. And of course, as I said, even more so, he is in us. Here's today's big idea. A joyful father invites us to celebrate Christmas every single day.
So I just want you to, to walk away with that today, that a joyful father invites us to celebrate Christmas every single day. Let's walk through. I have three scenes this morning from the Christmas story. Three scenes. This is our last message in this series, really. The original Christmas story. The glory of heaven invaded the obscurity of earth. He did that, and he is with us now all year long, every single day. So very close, especially to those of us who have put our faith and trust in him and have been adopted by the Father into heaven's holy family. So, three pictures that can help us celebrate all year long though, right? Three scenes from the first Christmas morning and three pictures that can help us celebrate all year long. We're gonna take one, sing a couple carols, take number two and see a video and walk our way through today. There were, number one, there were those who were obviously absent that first Christmas. You look at the Christmas story that first Christmas morning and the, the obvious thing that jumps out is, you know what? There's a lot of people that aren't here. There's a lot of people that are missing. And we've noted this, really, the Christmas story, there's a handful of people in, involved in the first Christmas story, right? There's Zachariah and Elizabeth. There's Mary and Joseph. There's Anna and Simeon. There's the wise men and the shepherds. And yeah, that's about it. That's about how many. You know, we see a lot of other events like in the Bible, like when Jesus marches in for the triumphal entry right prior to uh, Easter, when everyone watches him crucified, when the 500 see Jesus resurrected uh, after he rose again. Uh, we see like Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We see all these great events, even these feast days where there are throngs of people celebrating. But this first Christmas is an interesting picture as there's just a handful of people that are involved in this Christmas story. And the people involved in the Christmas story are marked by their faithfulness, by being devout, by being righteous, and by being willing. Mary really summarizes, summarizes the attitude of so many in the, in the first Christmas. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel came to, G to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. And this was her response. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was willing. There's two words I think that really mark these individuals in the first Christmas story and they teach us a, a profound lesson really that faith and humility give us the ability to see what most miss while most of the world missed that first Christmas and they missed the manger and they missed the birth of the Messiah those that saw it are marked by their faith and their humility and I'm just going to tell you in 2023 that a spirit of faith and a spirit of humility will allow you to see God work in your life in ways that you'll miss otherwise so think about this, right? Think about those that are in the story. Well, let's stop and think about who is missing then. There are so many people missing. Who is missing? Well, let me give you a, a picture of who is missing. Luke 2 again, 1 and 2. How about these people? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Who's missing? Well, how about the likes of Caesar Augustus? He's not there. How about Quirinius, the governor of Syria? He's not there. How about Herod, the king of the Jews? He's not there in Matthew 2. In fact, it tells us that he was troubled when he heard about the birth of the Messiah, that Jesus was a threat to him. Now, why is this important to note? What is so significant that they're not there? Well, who is Jesus? He is the king's king. He, he, is, the, he is the king that all the other kings bow down to. Like, isn't it a humbling proposition to know that ultimately, no matter who you are, there is someone in the universe that rules over you, that there is someone greater than you, that there is someone you can bend your knee to, no matter how important you may think you are in this world. And so we start right here, and we see that the proud were missing. 
That, that first Christmas morning, the proud. There were those who were just too important, just too proud to come and bend their knee and worship the Lord of Lords and worship the King of Kings. The closest to royalty we get in the Christmas story are the magi or the magicians, the astronomers that serve the Babylonian kings. See, they weren't really, the, the three kings weren't really three kings. They were astronomers or magi. And uh, that's pretty powerful. In fact, the book of Daniel is fascinating. It has a fascinating intersection with the Christmas story. Because Daniel, if, you, if you'll remember, about 700 years before Christ uh, comes, Daniel is taken by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon when he takes Israel captive. And so he's, he's there in Daniel, and King Nebuchadnezzar and these other kings, they have some dreams, and, and so one day he brings the, the, the magi in. Those are his, you know, magicians and astronomers. And he brings them in and says, I need you to interpret this dream for me. Well, none of them can interpret the dream. And he's going to have them all executed. Well, Daniel steps up, hears about this. Daniel says, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, um, I can tell you what your dream is. In fact, what Nebuchadnezzar wanted was, he wasn't even going to tell you the dream. He was just going to say, tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. So no one can do that. They're like, no one can do that. Daniel said, uh, yeah, I, I can do that. And so he did. He got this reputation. So Nebuchadnezzar had these two dreams where um, uh, Daniel helped him understand what they mean. But what happened in the end, when he interpreted the dreams, he spared the lives of all these magi. And so now all these magi, they now have a favorable relationship with Daniel and they have respect for Daniel's God. And this is how many believe they got the prophecy of the star. Like all these magicians now got the prophecy handed down from Daniel about a, about a Messiah coming and a star and to look for the star in the sky, it would point you. And so 700 years later, 600 years later, they all make it to it's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating thing. But watch this in the book of Daniel. So King Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams, right? And both of them kind of show the frailty of his kingdom and how he's inferior to God. And the second one is fascinating because the second one, Nebuchadnezzar dreams, he sees this great tree in all of its grandeur chopped to the ground and there is a stump left there. And he goes and says, Daniel, what does this mean? And Daniel says, well, King Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you what it means, that you are the tree. And you're going to be chopped down to the ground and you're going to be forced out in the fields like a wild ox to eat grass like a wild beast of the field. And you're going to be humbled until you can acknowledge that your kingdom and your rule comes from the one over you, the God of the universe, Yahweh. If you, if you do not humble yourself, this is going to happen to you. Let me, tell, let me show you what happens in Daniel, or it's fascinating, Daniel 4. And this came upon Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, a year later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence, and for all the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled in this moment. He is restored eventually, but he is humbled in this moment and he learns that there is a king, that all the other kings 
the governor of Syria, Caesar Augustus, King Herod, they all bowed down to the king of kings. And what's so amazing in this story is that the king of kings and lord of lords is a little baby. Boy, doesn't know, God doesn't God know how to humble us? Doesn't he know how to humble the mighty of the world? He can make them eat grass in the field like a beast or he can make them bow down to a little baby. That's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing picture. The personal application for you and I this morning is just beware of those times when we are too proud, so proud, that we fail to trust God and we miss Him and what He wants to do in our life. There are situations in life when we face challenges and yet we fail to walk by faith in the situation and instead we trust ourselves and we totally miss out on what God wanted to do in us, through us, and for us. Is there some way in which your pride will not let you truly trust in and worship God? Don't be too proud in 2023 that in that circumstance, situation, or need that you fail to trust your Heavenly Father. In fact, maybe you need to trust Him in 2023 with your very salvation. For the first time, you need to bend your knee and put your faith and trust in Christ as your your Savior. So the proud were missing. Who else was missing that first Christmas morning? How about the preoccupied were missing? The preoccupied, those that were too busy. Luke 2, 7, right? And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And uh, so it's a busy place and the inn's crowded, right? Well, not so much. We've talked about this in the past. The word for inn there is really not the Greek word for a hotel. Like like when the Good Samaritan uh, took the injured man to the inn or the hotel. That's a different word. The word inn here is really a guest room. And how this would work in those days, when you went back for like a, like a census, you would go back to family. And then family would put you up in one of the guest rooms. So they come to family and evidently the guest rooms are all full. And there's other reasons why maybe they couldn't have actually stayed there because, because of her being pregnant. But the reality is they get there and the inn is full. So it is a packed town right now. There's a lot going on. But consider what happens here when they go. They end up, as we said before, they end up at the shepherd's tower outside of Bethlehem. That's where she gives birth. And uh, the, the shepherds show up and the shepherds leave and they go all over the, the village, all over the town, telling their story. And all who heard it, heard the shepherds, wondered at what the shepherds told them. And so there's a lot of people. There are a lot of people around town and they all missed it. They were all too busy. In fact, when they heard this this incredible story, they basically wondered. It was a fascinating story. It was a captivating story. It was an unbelievable story. But, you know, I'm busy. I'm visiting with family. We're having game night with the relatives, you know. We're, uh, we're here for the census, and we got to get a good night's sleep, and, and it's crowded, and I'm tired, and it's busy, and th- there were just no takers. Nobody. It says, it says, really, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Maybe that means literally all. Maybe a few made it down there, but I don't think so. And think about that. Anyone could have had a glimpse. They could have walked down the road outside of Bethlehem to that shepherd's tower and just saw for themselves, is this unbelievable tale, is it true? No one did. Anyone could have had a glimpse of the most profound, the most significant, the most amazing moments in all of human history, yet everyone simply said, thanks but no thanks. I'm busy today. May we never be too busy in 2023 to take the necessary time to meet, 
with God, to celebrate Christmas all year long, to celebrate God with us, to celebrate God in us. When that challenge, don't let that challenge become a crisis before we stop and we pray and we seek God's will and we seek God's answer. Don't let that happen. And when we respond and when God gives us an answer, don't just treat it like, well, this is a viable option. I got two or three options. No, this is the word of God. Take the word of God. Take what he says and respond to it. Respond with prayer and humility and faith. You want an interesting angle on this though? Think about that, right? So there's all these people here in town and they hear the shepherds and they wonder. Just imagine if some of these people in Bethlehem actually came from Jerusalem. Think about this with me. So they're in Jerusalem, so they're back home. A year later, what happens about six, seven, eight, nine, ten months, a year later? What happens in Jerusalem? Who shows up? The wise men show up. The wise men show up and they go to King Herod. And uh, yeah, when Herod, the king, heard this about the birth of Jesus, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I wonder how many of those people that wondered the night Jesus was born didn't, were maybe troubled a year later. It's like, we heard something about that a year ago. And they were a little troubled and they were a little concerned. And I just think that is so fascinating that here are all of these people that, that did not turn to God and seek out Jesus. And the news that should have brought them comfort and joy, as we sang this morning, simply troubled their weary soul. They were too busy, too preoccupied. They were too busy managing their own problems to come and seek the answer to those very problems. There is one third group that's missing. So who, who do we miss? The proud aren't there. The preoccupied aren't there. You know who else isn't there? Matthew 2, 3 through 5, again, this is when the wise men show up. When Herod, uh, the king, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Who else is not there? Yeah, the pious are not there. The religious leaders are not there. The scribes. The rabbis, the priests, no, none of them. None of them are there. And they're the ones that should have known because they knew Daniel's prophecy. They knew Micah's prophecy. In fact, I thought of an interesting, another interesting angle I never thought of. So the, Daniel is there, right, in captivity, and he tells them about the star prophecy. You know what else Daniel writes about in his letter? In his prophecies? He writes about the exact time the Christ child will be born. So easily, these magi could have had that information as well. Hey, it's about this date, and they've passed it. Not that they've lived 700 years, but they've passed it down through the magi, and they've talked about the great king of Daniel who can interpret dreams, and, and, and when it gets to about this time, look for the star, and they're all there. And all of the Jewish religious leaders are not there. The ones that should have been there and even when they hear about it here they do not take one single step towards jesus not at all now how do we apply this because you might say well okay maybe i'm a little proud sometimes maybe i'm a little preoccupied sometimes maybe i trust myself a little bit too much sometimes but i don't really see myself as being overly pious how do we how do we apply that to ourselves? well here's one way to understand the pious the pious sometimes are the pretenders right? 
those who hide behind their mask pretending everything is fine when it's not. Oh, I'm pious. I, I've got it all together. I, I'm just Mr. Spiritual. I don't have any problems in my life. Take off your mask and be real with each other. And we need to do that in the year ahead if we want God to really move in our life and move in our church and move in our families. We just have to be real. So first, let's not be so proud that we handle life on our own and we miss out on what God wants to do. Let's not be so preoccupied with life that we miss out on what God wants to do in our life. So busy we don't have time for his word and for prayer. And let's not be so pious, so religious, so superficial that we can't take off our mask and be real and let God do his work in our life. The pious are often the pretenders. They pretend to have a deep relationship with God when it's truly nothing more than a facade. And just remember that a joyous, a joyful father invites us to celebrate Christmas every single day. Raymond, would you come? Let's sing some songs. If the girls want to come up and help me lead them, you can. Grab your mics and we're just going to sing a couple of carols here. Hopefully I remember to click through these. Angels we have heard on high. Go ahead. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Manger, no crib for a bed. 
Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love you, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my side. Jesus, I ask you to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in your tender care and fit us for heaven to live with you there. All right, one more. Thank you, girls, for singing with me today all year long. Appreciate that. One more. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to ball. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silence stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his head. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Very good. Thank you, ladies. You have a seat. Thank you, Raymond. Good job. Nice touch there. Just a shout out last week or two weeks ago. Great job with Bruce singing that very song on his guitar. What great character the guitar and his voice brings to that song. That was really touching. So we have a lot of talent in this church. So second scene from the Christmas story is this. The first scene, there were those who were obviously absent that first Christmas. Then there were those who found what they were looking for that first Christmas. Like some of them were on like this treasure hunt. And they found their treasure in Christ. 
And, you know, I was thinking about that statement, really. You know, the reality is this is true in life, right? We usually find what you are looking for in life. You do. Like, we see in other people what we want to see, right? We, we, we can judge people and see who they are, and they'll live up to our expectations. We often find what we're looking for, our attitude is so uh, powerful in that way. But here's the thing. When you think of the Christmas story, here's the reality. Each of those people I mentioned before that were involved in the Christmas story, they all found what they were looking for. I'll give you three examples that are powerful and that are very relatable. We'll start with Mary, right? But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So just let's just take a trip with Mary a moment and consider her experience. What's she pondering here? Well, first the angel came to her bedroom and just gave her that astounding news and kind of shook her <laughs> inside. And, and then that, that, that transposes after she says yes into the judgmental glances she received and the personal shaming she experienced as an unwed mother. I listened to someone this week talking about Mary's experience and how it had to be quite harrowing experience, how she really would have been put to the test in those moments that uh, she could have, according to the Jewish law, she could have been stoned. It was a tough time. In fact, someone even made the claim that there were those in her own family that may have rejected her for being pregnant out of, out of, out of wedlock. Maybe that was why there was no room in the inn. They thought she was unclean because she was a pregnant single girl all of that and so then next she has to travel with Bethlehem all the way to Jerusalem or all the way to Bethlehem where she gives birth in the shepherd's tower around all these smelly animals how about that and then these shepherds appear and they tell this amazing story of an angel who came to them maybe the same angel that came to her and then this heavenly host of like thousands of angels all singing praises and celebrating her baby's birth and talk about the range of emotions that Mary is going through. And I, I'm no expert on this, some of you ladies are, but isn't giving birth already a very emotional time, right? I don't mean that derogatively. I mean that, I mean that honest, sincerely. It's a very emotional time going through the process of giving birth from what I understand. And think about all that she's dealing with. And so here we are. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In fact, those two words stand out to me, really. Uh, treasuring and, and pondering. But here's the reality. Mary found the peace in her turmoil that she was looking for. In fact, it's an interesting situation, right? Because her willingness to be the mother of Jesus, and I don't know if she could have said no, probably couldn't have said no, but God knew she wouldn't say no, so that's why God asked her. But in her willingness to be the mother of Jesus and accept this call, she is inviting turmoil into her life. Because of Jesus, she's inviting turmoil into her life. And at the same time, Jesus is the answer to that very turmoil. The peace in her storm. Isn't that so relatable to you and me today? We follow Christ and sometimes following Christ brings turmoil into our life. And yet Jesus is the answer to that turmoil. Christ in us is the peace we need. And those two words there jump out to me. She treasured up pondering these things in her heart. Treasured speaks to the peace she found. Pondering speaks to the questions that she had. And there's a simple lesson here for all of us, I think, this morning, really, that there is more peace to be found in, a, in life in trusting God and, and in walking by faith than in trusting ourselves and walking by sight. There just is. We often think that walking by faith is so scary. We're, we're fed that lie by the enemy, right? 
But I think that's just the reverse. I think when we are trusting ourselves and we're walking by what we see, that should be scary. But when we walk by faith and totally trust God, there should be great peace in that. How about the shepherds then? What did they find? Well, the shepherds found the significance that they were looking for. They found the significance that they were looking for. It tells us, for unto you, the angels came, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The you included the shepherds, included you and me, included everybody. But it was really speaking to the Jewish nation there. But to all mankind, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. And again, that sign is in some senses to the the, the shepherds, but it's a sign for all of us. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So what do we make of the sign? What does that mean? This is a sign for you. Well, the traditional way, I think we've understood this, the way I understood it most of my life, and now I look at it, and it's such a nonsensical way, nonsensical way, whatever that word would be, to look at it. But it's like, well, go out and search for the baby Jesus and you'll find babies all over Jerusalem that have just been born. But when you find the baby that's in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, then you'll know you found the right baby and you can worship him because that's the Messiah. And of course, now I see it entirely differently. I've, I've, I've come to learn more about this whole issue of what is going on on in the christmas story so what does the sign mean well the sign revealed the significance of jesus the sign says this is why jesus was born he was born to die this is the significance of his birth this is the significance of who he is and remember as we've learned in recent years these shepherds are not your everyday ordinary shepherd these are the priestly shepherds they're raising the sacrificial lambs for the temple that's what they raised out and around jerusalem or out and around bethlehem there And they had the shepherd's tower where they would keep watch over their flock by night and where they gave birth to these lambs. So I believe the sign tells these shepherds on one sense exactly where to look. Like when they hear this, they're like, well, we know where that is. We know where to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. That's what we do with our own lambs. I found some more commentary this year. I'll give, I'll wait, somebody else can weigh in on this. Every year I find other voices, other commentators weighing in and explaining this. The birth of God's sacrificial lamb. And this is Dr. Frank Thacker. He's pastor of Harmony Baptist Church, a graduate of Tennessee Temple University with a BS in religion education and holds a master's degree from North Carolina North Carolina Central University and two doctorates from Central Carolina University and teaches at Greensboro Bible Institute. Here's his commentary. Salt was pulverized by the midwife until it was in the form of a fine powder. When the baby was born, the umbilical cord was cut and tied. The midwife first washed the baby in water. Then the baby's body was sprinkled and gently rubbed with the finely powdered salt and oil. Then a piece of cloth about a square yard in size was laid out and the baby was placed out in a diagonal position as the custom was and wrapped with strips of cloth. These strips kept the newborn child warm and also ensured that the child's limbs would grow straight. When the baby was finished being wrapped in the swaddling band, it had all the appearance of a mummy. These men had been designated from the time they were very young to be the ones who would be assigned the task of keeping watch over the temple's flocks One of their tasks was to make certain that none of these lambs were blemished while being birthed. 
According to the Mishnah, these, these lambs were immediately wrapped in swaddling cloths and their birth, after their birth to protect them from injury since baby lambs tended to thrash about and harm themselves in their first couple of hours of their lives. The shepherds who attended these lambs being under special rabbinical care were also required to keep their birthing caves ritually clean. And so this is what's going on, and th- this is the sign. So it seems that they maybe wrapped a lot of the babies there for protective reasons, but this baby is in a shepherd's tower, and he is not just placed in a normal, he's placed in the feeding trough, in the manger there in the shepherd's tower. And this would be an amazing sign of his significance to these shepherds. William Barclay, great commentator, it is a lovely thought that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's the the thing about this. Here's the other thing about this sign then. The shepherds found their significance in Jesus, right? The, the, The shepherds found their significance in Jesus. The sign revealed the significance of Jesus and the shepherds found their significance in Jesus. And what do we mean by that? Well, just think about that. Again, they're the priestly shepherds. They're raising these lambs. And now here is the ultimate reality of their life's work laying in this manger. It's a beautiful, beautiful Beautiful thing. James Travis said it this way. They had been told that the reality to which their life's work pointed had now arrived. And what they saw there, Jesus had come to be the ultimate Lamb of God to end their very work. It would no longer be needed because the true Lamb of God had come that takes away the sins of the world. And I saw something this year as I looked at this that never caught my eye before. Um, Have you ever thought about the connection between the word sign and the word significance? And I thought that was really powerful because, right, because the shepherds found their significance in Jesus and this will be a sign for you. And in, in a sense, in, in a sense, when the angels say this will be a sign for you, at the same time, they're saying this will also be your significance. Uh, they're both, both of these words are derived from Latin signum, identifying mark, token, indication, symbol. And so, The very lambs that they raised were a shadow of the ultimate lamb of God. The sign was their significance. I hope that makes sense to you. And it should be true for all of us in that all that we do, that we do all for the glory of Christ, we find our significance in him. So Mary found the peace she wanted and the shepherds found the significance they were looking for. And then look over here, Matthew 2, 9. After listening to the king, here's the wise men again. After listening to the king Herod, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And these wise men found the one worthy of their worship. In fact, you could write on your handout, the only one, should say the only one worthy of their worship. And we worship so many things in life, right? We can worship so many things and so many different people and so many different ideas. And Now there's only one thing really truly worthy of our worship. 
That's the one that all kings, that everyone bows down to. And so I just thought about that, how powerful. Because, you know, again, there's more than three wise men. There's maybe a dozen. There's maybe a throng of 100 or 200 that gathered and came together here. We don't know for certain. But they come to worship this newborn king. And they traveled a great distance over many months. And the reality is that every mile they traveled, every step they took, it was worth it. They found what they were looking for. They, were found, they found the only one truly worthy of their worship. And their gifts are really interesting, right? Because what do their gifts say? Gold, the frankincense and myrrh, the gold that, that he is royalty, the frankincense that he is deity, the myrrh that he is humanity. You know something about that? There is nobody else in all of history that could ever claim to be king, God, and man. Not one. There's just not one. Other, all the false gods in the world, they can't claim to be royalty, deity, and humanity all wrapped up in one. That's exactly what and who Jesus is. And a joyful father invites us to celebrate Christmas every single day. I want you to watch this video and keep that big idea in mind. A joyful father invites us to celebrate Christmas every single day. So that first Christmas, there were those that were obviously absent, and then there were those who found what they were looking for. And here's our third and final scene, just very briefly. There is the wonder of the gift that was given that first Christmas. There is the wonder uh, of the gift that was given on that very first 
Christmas. I want to close with this morning with a brief and simple nod to this most amazing gift that was given. And I want us to see a joyful Father extending this gift to every one of us, inviting to worship all of 2023, to worship the gift of Christmas, the reality of Christmas, to celebrate Christmas every single day. And John 3.16 can help us best understand this gift in the manger. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I have just four simple things I want to say about this gift here so, uh, so powerful this morning, this, this simple little verse, this gift. And the first thing it was something I heard as Louis Giglio, I was listen, listening to him this week and he was preaching about the power of an adverb. It was a great message, a simple message, uh, just some great illustrations. But he talked about the power of an adverb. You all know what an adverb is, right? Uh, an adverb is what qualifies a verb. I think that's how you say it, something like that. I guess I got it right over there. My, my mom would certainly tell me too. But like, I thought the movie ended abruptly. Or the teacher firmly disciplined the students. Or how about this one? Pastor Bill's mac and cheese was really delicious, right? <laughs> like that's the most, they, that's what Louis said, the most overused adverb is really. We like to use the word really. And he said that, that, that honestly, most writers go back and try to remove as many adverbs as possible because they really can bog down a piece of literature. And so what Louis said was, he made this simple point that, um, you know, we really don't need that many adverbs, but maybe God does. Maybe God deserves a really good adverb. Look at this, look at this verse again here, and uh, here it is, the power of an adverb. This is Louis Giglio, I just took this little thought from him. And, uh, but I I'm going to read that verse again, see if you can spot the adverb as I read it, okay? Right? For God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How many caught the adverb? Yeah, maybe you caught it because I took it out. So I'm going to read it again. I'll put it back on the screen. We'll read it again. And I'm going to point to you and you just shout out the adverb as we read through this first together, okay? For God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We could do a little better than that. Let's try it one more time. For God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it doesn't just say that God loved the world. It said God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave us his only son. What a, what a beautiful reality. And so four simple things here, the size of God's gift. For God so loved the world. This is an enormous gift. This is a, an amazing gift. For God so loved the world. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, talks about God's love. He talks about how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is. The psalmist tells us that God's love is as high as the heavens and as deep as the sea and as far as from the east to the west. That is God's love. The size of God's gift, and we could say the size of God's love, that's interchangeable. The gift is Jesus, right? And what's the essence of Jesus? But Jesus is love. So the size of God's gift, the size of God's love, it's enormous. But then there's also the scope of God's gift, because it tells us that whoever believes, and contrary to what you may have heard, I'm just here to tell you, God loves everyone. 
God came for everyone. God offers this gift to everyone. God died on the cross for everyone and everyone has the opportunity to receive by faith this gift. And Christ won't just be with you, he'll be in you. He won't just be with you in this world, he'll be in you. He'll take up residency in you. That's the scope of God's gift. That whoever would respond. And then, of course, how about the cost of God's gift, right? Because he gave his only son. And I'm going to tell you that no one has ever given you a more expensive gift than the father who gave his only son. And the son gave the gift of his life when he hung on the cross and took all of your sin on himself so that he could come to life in you and give you his righteousness and his holiness. And we talk about, I mentioned it earlier, Emmanuel is God with us, but we understand because of Easter, it's not just God with us. For those who put our faith and trust in him, it is now Jesus living in us. That's the cost of God's gift. And finally, there is the power of God's gift. The power of God's gift, that that those who believe should not perish but have eternal life. The, The power of God's gift, the power of God's love can so transform us when we receive it can bring us from death to life, can rescue us from the chains of sin and the depths of hell and secure us a place in heaven. And the reality is beyond that, on a day-to-day basis throughout all of 2023, the power of God's love can allow us to walk in the freedom of his grace. It allows us to walk in the victory over sin. It allows us to walk in the joy of our salvation. Christmas is truly about the wonder of God's incredibly matchless gift indescribable gift paul says the wonder of his love wrapped up in the savior the scope the size the cost the power of god's love wrapped up in the very person of jesus and what did we learn today right we we just simply learned that a joyful father invites us to celebrate christmas every single day and that there were those that were obviously absent that first christmas morning There were those who found what they were looking for that first Christmas morning and there is the wonder of this gift that was given that first Christmas morning. Let me give you three questions and we'll sing a song to close. Application and transformation this year. I don't want to miss out on what God has in store for me. This year I don't want to miss out on what God has in store for me. I don't want to be too proud or too preoccupied or too pious. I don't want to be a pretender. I want to be honest and real with the people God brings into my life and I just want to experience all that God has in store for me. And this year I I want to find my peace, my significance and my worship in Christ and not in my job and not in my possessions and, and not in my hobbies and not in all the superficial things of this world. I want to find my peace, my significance, my worship in Christ and in Christ alone. And then finally, this year I want to be more aware of God's ever-present love, the size of that love, the, the scope of that love, the power of that love, the reality of that love with me every, 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 every single day. I just want God's love to be so real to me. And I would just, this morning, maybe one of those, as you head into 2023, you can just kind of focus in on one of those and say, that's where I'm at right now in my life. That's my response to this year's Christmas story. Let me me just give you this little 
quote here. T.F. Torrance is noted as one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. But prior to that, he served as a chaplain during World War II. One day, on a battlefield in Italy, he attended to a dying 19-year-old soldier. The dying man asked him, Padre, is God really like Jesus? For Torrance, this question captured the deepest cry of the human heart. Is the God that will meet on the other side of death the same God that came to earth as a lowly babe? Torrance assured the dying man with these words, God is indeed really like Jesus. There is no unknown God behind the back of Jesus for us to fear. To see the Lord Jesus is to see the very face of God. And this experience would guide all of his future work as a minister and a theologian. And can I just tell you, that's the truth. As we head into 2023, that Jesus is a reflection of God. Jesus has come alive in us. Let's pray and let's sing. Father God, thank you for one last glance, one last nod into the Christmas story and for the reality that the Christmas story is the gift that is to give through all of 2023. May we unwrap this present, this, this, this beautiful package one more time and may we just come to terms with this and may we just run with this throughout all of the next year until next year we come back and revisit the story once again. Thank you, Lord, for your gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your invitation to celebrate. And thank you for being a joyful God, for being a dad that likes to give good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this last song. Mm -hmm.